The reading is uh, Psalm 23, found in uh, the Church Bibles on page 555. It's a Psalm of David. The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me besides quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, and your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and your love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. At the 11am on the 11th of November 1918, the guns went silent on the Western Front, and the armistice was signed, and a newfound sensation of hostilities took place. On the 11th hour of the 11th day of the 11th month of 1918, the relentless boom of artillery abruptly ceased. An eerie silence descended upon the trenches of the Western Front. And a young medical officer, Captain Stanhope Bain-Jones, was suddenly aware that he could hear water dripping off a bush next to him. He later recalled, it seemed mysteriously queer, unbelievable. All the men knew what the silence meant, but nobody shouted or threw his hat in the air. It took hours for the reality to sink in. The First World War, the bloodiest conflict in human history up until that time, had ended with the cost of more than 8.5 million military casualties. Queen Mary wrote in her diary in Buckingham Palace that evening that the 11th was the greatest day in the world's history. While Private Arthur French of the Seaforth Highlanders, he wrote this, I think it quite hopeless to describe what today means to us all. We who will return to tell people what war really is surely hope that 11 a.m. this day will be of great significance to generations to come. Surely this is the last war that will ever be between civilized nations. Sergeant Arthur Vigors wrote to his wife-to-be during that final hour And beginning his letter to his fiancée at 10.55 a.m., he wrote, My dear Olive, hip hip, another five minutes and the war is Napo. At least we hope so. It's a glorious ending to the war anyway, and everyone must be glad we are on the winning side. 11 a.m., not even a parting shot from the artillery. And so the war ends in peace and quietness. Whilst Lieutenant R.G. Dixon was on a troop ship pulling into Dover on leave when he wrote this. 
No more shoveling up of bits of men's bodies and dumping them into sandbags. No more cries of stretcher bearers and not more of those beastly gas masks and the odious smell of pear drops which was deadly to the lungs and no more writing those dreadfully difficult letters to the next of kin of the dead. Then as this young lieutenant stepped down the gangplank back onto British soil, it suddenly began to dawn on him that he had a future. And some of you may ask in yourselves, why do we have Remembrance Sundays? Why remember something that took place so long ago? You may be thinking, something should surely be forgotten. And not dragged up year after year, surely now 101 years after the First World War. It's time to move on. But the answer to these questions is quite simple. We dare not forget. We need to remember to burn into our collective memory this day because it commemorates not just the Great War, as it was erroneously called, but all wars since in which British and Allied soldiers have lost their lives. Commemorates for us those areas of conflict where British military personnel have fallen where friends and family have been killed or maimed as they fought for the cause of justice and peace. We need to remember the collective suffering of those whose lives have been destroyed by war for two very important reasons. The first is this. We remember the horror. We remember the horror. There were great celebrations on that day in 1918, and London descended into a party atmosphere. The Prime Minister, Lloyd George, he came out of 10 Downing Street and spoke to the boisterous crowds. He announced, it's over. They've signed. The war is won. At 11am, maroons exploded and the all clear was sounded from from the plinth of Nelson's column. And in Churchill's words, the strict war strained regulated streets of London became a triumphant pandemonium. Guardsman Ken Fenn Folks of the Coldstream Guards was recovering in hospital following his second war wound that year and he was summoned to a parade with all his fellow patients. The command officer made the announcement and they broke into singing God Save the King and Tipperary. And then the CO called for three cheers at the end, for the end of the war. And Fen Noakes wrote, we almost cracked the clouds. Yet, in truth, for some people their war would go on for years, even for the rest of their lives. You see, the suffering continues with war. And as the bells rang out their celebrational tones in Shrewsbury, a postman made his way to the home of the Owen family. Lieutenant Wilfred Owen, the now famous war poet, had died five days earlier in one of the last offences of the war. And as the door opened on the 11th, as the bells were ringing in Shrewsbury, the postman gave his parents the telegram, and said to them this, don't celebrate too much. He died five days ago. 
And for many, the sheer horror of that war made any celebration hollow and inappropriate. Wilfred Owen's very good friend, Rupert Graves, a fellow officer, spent that day walking along the dike above the marshes of Rudland. And he writes that he walked there cursing and sobbing and thinking of the dead. And some people could only weep. Colonel Alan Brooke, who was later to become Lord Alan Brooke, the most senior officer of the Second World War, he wrote later that evening, That wild evening jarred on my feelings. I felt untold relief at the end, being there at last but was swamped by the floods of memories of those years of struggle. I was full of gloom that evening and retired to bed early. And C.S. Lewis also felt a similar disquiet with the celebration. Mafeking was a, a common term in those days for celebrations of military successes following the relief of Mafeking during the Boer War. And so Lewis wrote that night to his father, and he said this, The man who can give way to Mafeking in such a time as this is more than indecent. He is mad. I remember five of us at Keeble, and I am the only survivor. I think of Mr. Sutton, a widower with five sons. All of them have gone. One cannot help wondering why. Let us be silent and thankful. General William Tecumseh Sherman famously said during the American Civil War, War is hell. And so the horror of war is not something to be treated lightly. We need to remember the terrible cost of war so we never repeat it quickly. During my tours with the British Army, the cost of human sacrifice has been great. We lost 179 military personnel in Iraq and 454 in Afghanistan. You see, the price of peace is never cheap. And we need to remember because we dare not forget or we run the risk of repeating the mistakes of the past. Yet also, we remember in order to honour. We remember to honour. We remember to honour those who have paid the ultimate price for our freedom, those who have died, those who have been maimed, those scarred physically and mentally in the fight against tyranny. Going to war is never easy, and yet sometimes it's the only way to secure peace, to protect ourselves. The only way might be to take up arms. But we should never do that easily or quickly. Never should we shirk, nor should we shirk our responsibilities to our fellow human beings. Courage in war is not a given. Soldiers do not normally, are not normally born brave or created fearless. In fact, I would be concerned if they were. In the real world, many soldiers have to overcome their natural fears, the desire to run in order to stand up and fight. You see, courage is not the absence of fear, but learning to overcome it. And soldiers who fell both in both world wars, who died in the Battle of the Falklands, the Gulf, Northern Ireland, Bosnia, Kosovo, Sierra Leone, Iraq, and most recently in Afghanistan, they were human beings struggling with their fears, their very real desire to keep their head down or to run in the opposite direction. 
It's these people we remember at services like these. Most were not like Sylvester Stallone or Claude Van Damme. They didn't kill vast numbers of the enemy with a sharp pencil and a penknife. But they overcame their natural fear to stand up and fight. Kuba Farpa Maguer was a 26-year-old rifleman with the 2nd Battalion of the 3rd Queen Alexander's own Gurkha Rifles and served during the First World War. And on the 25th of September, while in France, rifleman Kuba Farpa, having been wounded himself, discovered a wounded soldier of a Leicestershire regiment behind the 1st German Trench. And although urged to save himself, this Gurkha soldier remained with the wounded man all that day and the following night. And very early the next morning, in misty weather, he put him upon his shoulders and dragged him through the German wire within spitting distance of the Germans. And then leaving him in a place of comparative safety, returned back into the German lines, back over the other side of the German lines, to recover two Gurkha soldiers that also had been wounded and were unable to walk. He then went back, having secured them in a safe place. He then went back in broad daylight and fetched a fourth British soldier, carrying him most away under enemy fire. Such an incredible act of faith and courage had by now attracted such a, a deal of attention that when he emerged from the, his trench a fifth time to go back into the German lines to recover yet more injured soldiers, the German soldiers actually stood in their trenches and clapped this man to encourage the Gurkha on. Only this time the Gurkha walked right across for no man's land and back to his own side. Kuber Farpa was awarded the Victoria Cross, gazetted on the 18th of November, 1915. And so we honour the courage of such men as this. We honour them for the peace they paid for and the many men and women who didn't come back from their walk in no man's land. And the question is not whether we should remember such soldiers many years on, but whether we could do what they did. The question is, how do we overcome our fears, especially when faced with difficult situations, perhaps even impossible situations? Well, I want to share with you the words of another great soldier, the man who wrote Psalm 23. He was a king, King David of Jerusalem, and he's the greatest ancient soldier of the Israelite people. He was a great soldier, renowned for his combat skill, being familiar with death and the horror of war. And yet his strength was not in the size of his biceps. It wasn't in his military prowess. It wasn't even in his choice of weapon. He writes for us in Psalm 23, The Lord is my shepherd. Now, a shepherd is employed to look after the sheep, to feed, to care, and protect the flock. And David saw God as his protector, his friend, and was able to face danger and death because the Lord is my shepherd. He writes, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. To David, God was not some distant being, 
not merely some creator or some supreme being. God was personal. God was his shepherd. He was his Lord, his friend. And this is a relationship all of us can have. If only we put our trust in God like David. I wonder if you, like this old soldier, can say, the Lord is my shepherd. In closing, I want to read to you a poem that was discovered on a piece of scrap paper fluttering in the desert sands of North Africa in December 1942. The anonymous author was never found, but Phil Marshall Montgomery referred to it in his message to 21st Army Group, and it was later published in the 8th Army Group magazine. The poem is called A Soldier's Prayer. Stay with me, God, the night is dark. The night is cold, my little spark of courage dies. The night is long, be with me, God, and make me strong. I love a game, I love a fight. I hate the dark, I love the light. I love my child. I love my wife. I am no coward. I love life. Life with its change of mood and shade. I want to live. I'm not afraid. But mine and mine are heart apart. O unknown God, light up my heart. You stilled the waters of Dunkirk. You saved your servants. All your work is fearful, dear Lord. You strode before us down that dreadful road. We were alone and hope had fled. We loved our country and our dead. And could not shame them, so we stayed the course and were not much afraid. Dear God, that nightmare rode and then. That sill, that sea, we got there. We were men. My eyes were blind, my feet were torn. My soul sang like a bird at dawn. I knew that death is but a door. I knew what we were fighting for. Peace for kids. Our brothers freed a kinder world a cleaner breed. But I am but the son of my mother bore, a simple man and nothing more, but God of strength and gentleness, be pleased to make me nothing less. Help me, O God, when death is near, to mock the haggard face of fear, that when I fall, if fall I must, my soul will triumph in the dust. How will you face the valley of the shadow of death. Don't face it alone. Face it with the Lord as your shepherd. Amen. Amen. Will you please stand? We're now going to say together the words of the act of commitment. We say together, for the relief of want and suffering, and for the praise of your name, guide us by your spirit. Give us wisdom, give us courage, give us hope, 
and keep us faithful now and always. Amen. So we stand and sing our final hymn, Who is on the Lord's side?